Welcome to the Strong Life Coach Podcast, where we speak life, coach life, write life, and lead life. Today, I have special guest, owner of Rizzo Insurance Group, Fernie Rizzo in the house. Fernie, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Derek. Thanks so much for having me here, man. It's an honor. Oh, you know it. You know it. I'm glad to connect. I, I think people are going to be inspired by what you have to say. I believe every single person has a journey, but I can tell you, not every single person's journey gives me goosebumps. And I know <laughs> yours did. So I'm excited to be able, that. for you to be able to share your story so people know the man behind the man or yes, the man sir. behind the business. And I think people are going to be able to tune in and hear great leadership principles to elevate them in their career in their, in their uh, relationships, and even in um, providing services, even as business owners. I appreciate that. That's, that's my goal. So uh, I want to make sure people who are tuning in know you and a little bit about your background. So I'll go over your profile and you correct me wherever, wherever I'm off. So you have experience as uh, your seven years as uh, in, in insurance. Yes, far. sir. And before that, you had 13 years in the education system. I did. It was 10 years as a math teacher? I, it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> High school math teacher. But then on top of that, you had four years as an assistant football coach. Uh, yes. At the same time I was teaching, I, I did some, some football coaching in high school. And then we have six years as a varsity head coach. For girls basketball. That's correct. And, um, and overall, you had 10 plus years of, of basketball coaching experience at the high school level. And then three years as an assistant principal? Correct. So what haven't you done? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not in politics, that's for sure. <laughs> and then, um, I haven't tried that from, from an education perspective. You had your match, your bachelor's degree from UTEP, go minors, go minors represents. And then you said, No, that's not enough. I'm going for something more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You said, Master's degree from New Mexico State, go Aggies. All right, <laughs> the, the rival. <laughs> so, um, one, quite a profile. And on top of all of that, you are chapter president of a business network, business networking international, BNI. Yes. So you just you just stack up on the, the accolades and responsibilities. I, I try. I try to stay busy. Okay. Yes, uh, my mom calls herself a chaos junkie. So you you, you and her might I'm, I'm have pretty close. Uh, you, you, pretty you guys close. might be similar. <laughs> and that's not even to talk about the basketball program, which I know we'll segue into a little bit later um, that you do outside of your professional life. Just staying busy, staying busy. And um, in your personal life, so married 12 years. Is that this month? Uh, this month, uh, Saturday. Come on. Congratulations yeah. on hitting that the dozen. Big deal. Hey, it is. It is. We're, we're celebrating that in a, in a pretty special way. Mm -hmm. We're taking a trip for that one. Okay. Well, uh, you care to share where or? Uh, no, to Sin City. Sin City? Okay. <laughs> Las Vegas. Vegas. Yes, Vegas. we're headed to Las Vegas. So. Well, I hope you all celebrate in a great way and are able to connect and have a great time because 12 years, it is no small feats. It's not. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to just a, a few days with each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that you need that. Every relationship needs that. So mm -hmm. we hit the big dozen and we're celebrating in a, in a pretty big way. Okay. So then 12 years of marriage, three children. Mm -hmm. So your, your oldest is uh, your daughter. Yes. And how old is she? She's 19, going to be 20 this December. All right. And she has, um, so she's in college. She is. She's uh, HBU. She's playing uh, college soccer. So she got a scholarship for that. She did. All right. So again, all of these things speak to the leadership you provided in the household. You know, your example, your role model serving and sacrificing for everybody who knows, you know, people make jokes about the soccer moms and soccer dads. <laughs> um, so you've done this 
for years upon years upon years to help her to get to this level. Soccer parenthood definitely paid off. 14 years of her traveling and playing yes. soccer and, you know, just the, the crazy schedule. Mm -hmm. And it paid off with a college scholarship to do what she loves. Come on now. That's yeah. the way to do it. Absolutely. And then you have uh, two other um, sons. Yes, I do. 15-year-old and 13. About to be. They're 14 and 12 and about to be this month, 15 and 13. So All right. Both teenagers. My 12-year-old is going to be an official teenager. All right. Come <laughs> on now. Progressing. So of all you're doing, you're a family man. We want to make sure we understand the journey into it. So when did you first know that you were a leader? Ali, man, that I'd have to go back almost three decades to being a, a, a high school freshman mm -hmm. and a uh, mentor educator of mine by the name of Don Wooten, Don Wooten. seen something in me and, and may he rest in peace. Mm -hmm. He saw something in me that, that I didn't see in myself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I was, I grew up in public housing, you know, okay. so I grew up around the, the gangs and the drugs and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, had a father who was involved in those things and and don for some reason saw something in me that mm -hmm. i i didn't see in myself and some other people did not and got me involved in in youth groups yes. drug prevention movement uh some leadership roles mm -hmm. in, in those type of organizations and and i have to say that that was the first time that that i started seeing something in myself mm -hmm. that that was leadership quality Come on all right so tell me more about these uh drug prevention programs like uh what does that mean or what so, took place so funny story uh we we started a group called youth impact youth um impact. and Ms. mesa i'll never forget her she was the mom of one of my best friends growing mm -hmm. up and if she was she lived in public housing she was my neighbor and she called us impacto juvenil which okay. means youth impact in english right. and we started the group called youth impact and uh went around the state, we we were more like peer mentors mm -hmm. and we were talking against the drugs, the gangs, motivational speaking, but at the same time incorporating rap music into right. it. So Come on. those were some fun days, man. Yes. Some fun days as the leader of Youth Impact. So do, do people know that about you now? That you I have don't these, think these so. rap history days back <laughs> uh, in high school? Yeah, no, those VHS tapes are uh, saved, <laughs> saved uh, pretty securely somewhere. Um, very few people do, mm. but but a lot of my high school friends remember that because through high school, uh, we even sang and rapped at some of the high school pep rallies. Wow. That was an adventure, big man. Big time, so, big time. Yeah. Well, it's good that somebody took the initiative to see you, to see the potential in you, and begin to cultivate that leadership from an early age to help you to begin to give back and help other people who were in need. You know, Don took a big risk, and, and I think that's what educators do is is we see something in kids that maybe they don't see in themselves, people don't see in them, and, uh, you know, it opened up so many doors for me mm -hmm. in, in the future. And I'd have to say that those days as a teenager is what led me to be who I am today. Sure. It really no, did. Absolutely. And, I, and anybody from BNI who listens in, they're, they're going to have to know this, this rap element of your life <laughs> yeah that's true they might make me rap a song hey here in one I, of the I, meetings. I have to have you on another podcast because sometimes i don't know about you but some of the lyrics i remember learning like when i was like eight like i could still like recall recall 
and recite some of the, you know, the Coolio or whoever it was oh, yeah. in, uh, you know, 96. Um, can you still recite some of the, I mean, not right now on the air, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, in general, do you ever find yourself going throughout a day and figure and going, hey, like these lyrics that, I, that we wrote and performed back then are still with me? You know, what's funny is we were in a hotel room uh, at a basketball trip with some of my son's uh, teammates mm -hmm. and they were freestyling and they said come on dad you can freestyle and i freestyled to some of the lyrics i used to sing to oh, these uh, nice. <laughs> and they, they liked it man so i guess they're still pretty relevant yeah. three decades later come you know? on. yeah <laughs> yeah they, did, they didn't know those were rehearsed no <laughs> exactly they didn't know i wrote them down and I've, i sang them for a lot of years they thought it was really freestyle off the top of my head well good i, I know I, I relate to somebody else um taking an interest in me and um, and I just feel like there's always somebody. And um, I don't know if you know this, but when I was 17, um, my mom told me that, that my dad had committed suicide. And uh, when that took place in my life, um, it is a sad, heartbreaking, soul-crushing story. But when I look back, I, there was always a father figure, some way, somehow, whether it was my coach who I had on my podcast last week, uh, my, wow. my, my varsity <laughs> coach uh, from high school, or... Um, or my grandpa, who's a big time father figure, or just other big brothers, but there's always been somebody along the way who saw potential in me. Even my first job at McDonald's, you know, yeah. the, the general manager looked at me and asked me, I was like 14 years old, shouldn't even have been working there at that age. But he asked me if I, if I could see myself as a manager because he did. And I didn't become a manager at McDonald's, but I have this memory, you know, 18, 19 years later of somebody who saw me saw potential in me, saw leadership potential. But it sounds like Don had that same vision for you. And it's amazing to see his legacy live on in you. I know he's passing. I'm, I'm sorry to hear about his passing. But how his legacy lives on in you as you even contribute to the community, as you contribute to your clientele and building up your business. You know, and I think Don had, had a big part to do in me wanting to become a teacher and a mm -hmm. coach is that I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And what Don did for me, I wanted to do for kids. You know, mm -hmm. and that's motivated me forever, really. I mean, for the last 30 years is is what Don did for me, for me to be able to do for somebody else. And Don knowing that I didn't have that stable childhood home, um, that I needed those father figures. And he was that's definitely right. one of the first that stepped up to be that mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right, right on that part. And so when people are listening in or thinking about community impact, I mean, it could be to somebody when you see somebody else. And they don't have to have this perfect background. They don't have to have the perfect household, but you just believe in them and invest in them. Then that they can be your your Don Wooten, right? Um, and they can be um, somebody that twenty years from now you look back and um, are mentioned on a podcast in twenty years just because of believing crazy? in somebody else in the community and carrying on that legacy. Yeah, that's that's crazy how that works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you went from um, so high school in, in El Paso? Yes, sir. And then so after high school, you went directly to UTEP? I did, I did. Uh, yeah, I did the year right after graduation, uh, Isleta High School, class of 94, once an Indian, always an Indian. All right. And went to UTEP, um, got accepted to Notre Dame University. Mm -hmm. um, but because of the events that were happening in my household and my parents were going through a divorce, okay. I wasn't able to pursue that dream of okay. being a fighting Irish. Um, so I stayed home to study at home and the, the plan was to study two years at UTEP, 
and transfer to Notre Dame, transfer all my basics over there. Mm-hmm. But the, the turns of life and, and the, the direction life has for you just kind of kept me home and, and uh, finished my degree there. Have no regrets mm-hmm. about doing that. Uh, UTIP is a great school and got my bachelor's there in education. And a couple years later, got my master's degree in right. educational administration. I do want to hear about the experience at UTEP because um, um, how did you develop your leadership while you were at UTEP? Man, that's that's a that's a good one. I uh, I got recruited into a fraternal organization, and uh, you know most people think fraternities are party crews mm-hmm, and you pay mm-hmm. for your friends right. and you know that's not what it was it was an organization on campus and i didn't have any brothers um any blood brothers i mm-hmm. i am a i have two sisters but i didn't have any brothers so to me it was about the relationship mm-hmm. about being able to have brothers you know right. and uh, to this day i still cherish those brotherhoods we still mm-hmm. talk we still have a fantasy football league together you know mm-hmm. uh things like that but when i was a junior I, I got elected as vice president wow. and it was a, you know, you were automatically going to be uh, graduating into president a year later. Mm-hmm. So that said a lot for what my brothers thought of yes. me, um, being able to be elected vice president and be able to transition into presidency my senior year of college mm-hmm. to be able to lead them. That said a lot for, for their opinion of yes. me and my leadership skills. Mm-hmm. And they say, like, one of the most difficult and challenging components of leadership is leading volunteers. Yes. People that aren't paid to follow you or they're not for. So, like, in some ways, a teacher has students that while they're in the classroom, and in some ways, they're not paid to follow, but they're expected and required to follow the direction that the, le- that the teacher is providing. Or in a corporate environment, when I have direct reports, people that report to me, in some ways, their paycheck depends on them following my direction. But in this fraternity situation, these people aren't paid to follow you. They're not even, um, but just the idea that what they saw in you in your junior year of college, that this is the guy we want, the leader of this whole organization um, are, you know, as a senior. Correct. So yeah, it just it just speaks volumes about your influence and your impact in those relationships. They were actually paying their dues, right? Paying, their membership right. dues. Right. Um, so it was the opposite. Mm-hmm. And ele- being elected as a leader, it's not something I took lightly mm-hmm. in that fraternity. It was it was I served for a year, and it was you know one of the best years of my life, and taught me a lot. Taught me a lot, like you said, as far as leading an organization mm-hmm. of adults, of peers, of colleagues mm-hmm. into goals, helping right. them achieve goals. Mm-hmm. You know. And even I, I think learning to motivate in that space, um, and and uh, when I think about even what you're doing right now with B and I, and we're going to come back to it, um, but it, it is it is a cool little mirror where <laughs> the the presidency role it, it it wasn't like a brand new thing for B and I. People had believed in you in the past mm-hmm. and had put you in this position before in college, and then. It's no surprise that later on you are given these same opportunities to lead, you know, even our chapter of uh, BNI. That's correct. Omega Delta Phi taught me that I could do it, that I had it in me, that it wasn't as hard as it's made out to be. And as much as you're going to invest time and energy in it, that I had the the qualities to be able to lead an organization of adults, you know, mm-hmm. so that taught me I could do it. Yes. Kind of cemented what Don had mm-hmm. seen, me in, seen in me years yes. before Yes. Spot on. So we go from UTEP, and then where does your journey go? 
Um, I graduated from UTEP. I became a, a high school math teacher, uh, freshman uh, football assistant coach, freshman basketball assistant coach, and did that for a few years and realized I wasn't fulfilled, mm-hmm. that I wanted to be an administrator, um, wanted to lead a school district eventually. So it kind of led me to get my master's degree mm-hmm. while uh, Veronica and I met and, and uh, you know, I, I was going to class at the rival university, which mm-hmm. is about 55 minutes away from UTEP, but uh, took some weekend college classes and got my master's degree in 2006. Nice. Congratulations there. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. And, and that led me to, you know, I, I kept coaching, I kept teaching. My passion was still in teaching and coaching. But four years after getting the master's, I decided that I wanted to raise the family in San Antonio. Okay, uh, big change. Was there a, a big motivation? Uh, yeah, my, my sister graduated from St. Mary's University, oh, my little okay. sister. So, you know, when she was coming to college in San Antonio, I was dating my wife and we'd bring her every semester to move in. Mm-hmm. And this was a great place to obviously vacation. So mm-hmm. we were tourists at the time. Sure. But I was like, this is not a bad place, you know? And uh, she, yeah, I, I spent four years bringing her picking her up, you know, when semester was over and just kind of pretty much fell in love with the city. All right. And knew that this, even from, from those years, from 2000 to 05, when she came to school here, mm-hmm. I kind of knew this is kind of where I wanted to be. Nice. And that's really five years later what, what kind of led me to 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 want to be here. Now, ironically, one of my, uh, you know, friends that I went to graduate school with ended up moving here to San Antonio to be mm-hmm. an assistant principal immediately after getting his master's degree. So when we would visit and vacation here, he's the one that kind of encouraged me to, you know, interview and and mm-hmm. there was a bigger world out there than than just what I was doing as a teacher and a coach. And uh, he was a big part in, in helping me, you nice. know, uh, move here because mm-hmm. he was already experiencing the success as an administrator for uh, one of the school districts here in San Antonio. Wow. Now, was it was it a difficult decision to go from that teacher coach role where everything was familiar? You've been doing it for 10 years into that administrative role, which not only is it different, but it's you're changing. I mean, you're eight hours driving distance, you know, from San Antonio to El Paso. I think I was ready. I think that's what made it easy. I had a supportive wife. Um, I still remember smart. her asking me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very mm-hmm. smart. Mm-hmm. But I remember her still asking me, are we ready? Are we ready to make the move? Uh, mm-hmm. We're moving 600 miles away all our family, everything we knew was in El Paso. And I told her, no, I said, we're not ready. I said, and I don't know if there'll ever be a time we'll be ready, but right. this is the time to yes. do it. And I think that's where a lot of people not fail, that's the wrong word, but where they hesitate too much to be able to take that leap of faith mm-hmm. of this is, something's telling me that this is what I need to do. Right. And we made the move, we made the move that summer um, we moved from El Paso to San Antonio and haven't looked back since. Come on. And I, I think you're spot on saying that there's an obstacle in people's growth in their development that they allow, well, I'm not ready yet. I don't feel confident yet. But there's a, there's a, two quotes that came to me. Um, is um, There's this quote that says, build your wings on the way down. Like leap, just jump, <laughs> just, just get out there. And as you're falling, yeah, build those wings and get them ready to fly. But if you wait till my wings are built before I jump, then sometimes... Um, those wings are never ready. But something about leaping, like you said, forces me and creates me to go, all right, um, I have deadlines. You know, this has to work. You know, um, all right, this other line I heard is I got to make it 
or I got to make it. There's no in between. Right, another no in between. And no plan B. Um, but I think there's something about that. Um, another line I think is like, do it afraid. Don't mm-hmm. wait. Don't wait till you're confident. Don't wait till there's no insecurities. There's no worries. There's no fears. That may that day may never come, but to take that leap is huge. So let's talk about your your role as the administrator. So you stepped into the assistant principal role, mm-hmm. which you held for three years. Correct. What were the Let's talk about the rewards first of that role, and then we'll talk about the challenge. What was rewarding about that role? You know, doing for for kids what Don had did for me, mm-hmm. what my high school football coaches had done for me. Yes. Um, football, playing football was my gang in high school. Mm-hmm. That's the way I stayed off the streets. Mm-hmm. That's my the Friday night thrills were my way of of just, you know, letting out my frustration, my stress of, of having to grow up as a kid in a, in a low socioeconomic community. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to be that person for these kids as an administrator. It, it became challenging mm-hmm. because you're the disciplinarian. So you're no longer that guy that everybody likes. Right. You're that guy that all the students dislike. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> because you're the hammer. You're associated with trouble. Like, oh, I'm you in are. trouble. You are, as an assistant principal, you're the primary disciplinarian. You know, you're the one that intervenes between the teacher and the student right. when the student is misbehaving. But at the same time, I took the approach of, I'm going to be the mentor to these kids. Mm-hmm. Why are they getting in trouble? Mm-hmm. What is it? What structure are they lacking? What can right. I provide? What can my campus provide for these kids? So those were the rewards. Mm-hmm. The challenges were that they were leaving the campus and going back to the same environment mm-hmm. so the next day we were back to square one. Oh. the conversation we had had was in one ear out the other because i couldn't change the actual environment right i couldn't change the community mm-hmm. you know and and that's where you start juggling as an educator as a teacher as an administrator is how do you go to bed at night knowing that that it, some things are out of your control. Mm-hmm. Some things are are you can you can do you can only do so much. Right. Your hands are tied mm-hmm. at a certain point. Sure, you know. Would you say um, how, how much time would you say you were spending on putting out fires in that administrative uh, in that administrative role? Uh, you know, your goal when you become an administrator as an educator is to be an instructional leader, mm-hmm. to be able to help kids succeed in the classroom, right. help teachers become better teachers. And I'd say that I was spending 5% of my time doing the 95% of the oh. instructional leadership, but 95% of my time on 5% of the kids, 95% uh. of my time on discipline, wow. uh, on those things. And that's where it became a challenge is how do you, juggle between the two you know besides having to turn off my radio while i was doing a classroom observation Mm -hmm. and then coming out of the classroom observation having another one scheduled but now i have a student waiting for me in my office because during the 45 minutes i was observing the student Mm -hmm. was getting in trouble you know so um that that was a big challenge there is how to juggle between being the instructional leader which is ideally why you become a school administrator Mm -hmm to having to spend time on being a disciplinarian. Right. And I, I think any leader out there probably can relate to the frustration of feeling like, how am I spending so much time 
with the most problematic people. Mm-hmm. And not that the problematic people don't need any attention, but we we probably never want to be in a situation where um the the um where there's not investment for those children that are the, the top performers. How do we help them to get better? Or those middle performers, how do we how we help those middle performers to get to the top? But um when so much time we we can feel like in a leadership role is spent with people who well, again, whether it's discipline or um, it can be frustrating and draining. A, a lot of my energies are, are spent with people who are draining my energy because of attitudes or because of poor decisions or because of write-ups or meetings. And, you know, in the corporate world, it was when uh, it was su- such a structured environment that for me to um, like terminating somebody, I mean, I felt like you had to... <laughs> You know, um, paperwork after paperwork, meetings, clarifications, inspections, and all, all of these just to get somebody terminated. Not that that's what you want to do, right. but if somebody's like, avo- if they're avoiding their job, or if they're, um, you know, even in the operations, if they're neglecting the customers, yes. and if they're disrespecting their peers, then, or if they're just not showing up, like those are all like things you go, okay, these are basic fundamentals of having a job and you're not doing it. But it still took so much to, um, uh, so much time in the leadership role is spent taking care of these, um, for a be- lack of a better phrase, uh, bottom performers. And, and I think that's the challenge as educators that educators have nowadays. A, a school campus is a microcosm of corporate America, oh, right? Wow. It's it's the uh, the students who are always absent. Those are your employees who are always calling in sick Mm -hmm. right your students who don't turn in homework those are your employees who want to get the paycheck but don't want to put in the work Mm -hmm. your top performers your straight a students those are your top performers who you unintentionally decline to pay attention to that's right and they feel left out Mm -hmm. they feel like golly the teacher doesn't pay attention to me and i'm the best student in the class right and it's because you know that they're going to do what they need to do exactly because they have the structure mm-hmm. they have the outside influences that are motivating them to be that person mm-hmm. but when i left education i was like corporate america is just a big school campus mm. <laughs> but everything you've said about it this far i'm like yep that, that's my experience you know uh-huh. and, and i think that's what's helped me be successful and and helped me understand that that i um this was my calling Mm, is that the 13 yes. years I spent in education were preparing me for what really the, the real quote unquote world is. is mm-hmm. Yes. So then you went from three years in the administrative role as an assistant principal or is it or mm-hmm. is a vice principal? Either one. So as a vice principal. And then what happened in that transition? Like when did you know, all right, uh, I, I need to make this change because we, we, we see the, not the fit, we see where you are now, you know, in insurance and we see where you were then. So what happened between now and then? It, it wasn't that I was ready. I, d- I didn't know there was something else out there. Mm-hmm. My goal was to get a doctor degree mm-hmm. and become a superintendent of schools. That's, that was the culmination of my career in education. But suddenly one summer, so the, so I moved to San Antonio. I'm an assistant principal. I'm mm-hmm. working 12 hour days. 70 hour weeks you know my kids are small we hired a nanny to pick them up from school feed them take them to t-ball practice basketball practice Mm -hmm. football practice and i'm like well 
a lot of expenses involved in in, in having kids, right? Sure. And, and, and I'm working from seven to seven, and sometimes from seven to nine, and mm -hmm. I'm working weekends, and I'm I have duty at at a football game, volleyball game, basketball game. I have a disciplinary file I have to get turned in by tomorrow morning, so mm -hmm. I'm working till ten at night. Um, it, it, I wasn't looking. That was that was the reality of, mm -hmm. of the profession. And it was what I wanted to do. But suddenly, one, the summer after my first year in as an administrator, I had a recruiter for a captive insurance agency look mm. me up okay. on one of the social media sites. I said she had done some research and, you know, I had an impressive resume and she wanted to talk to me. Okay. But she was in El Paso. So she was under the impression I was still in El Paso. Got but it. that summer of 2011, the year after we had moved to San Antonio, Mind you, I had already been an administrator for one year. Mm -hmm. And ironically, I had just been moved campuses. After one year, I, ha I received a call from the superintendent's office saying, hey, great job, but we're going to move you to another campus. Okay. So I was like, wow, there's a lot of movement here in education. Mm -hmm. And uh, she looked me up. I met with her that summer. I, I went back to El Paso that summer. We went as a family to visit because all our family was still there. And just in talking to her, I didn't know there was another world out there. Mm -hmm. All I knew was education. All I knew I ever wanted to do was educate, be a teacher, be a coach, be to <clears> kids <throat> what my mentors were to me. But I was like, well, there's a way to still impact people, mm -hmm. to still do for them what I'm doing for kids. Right. Have more flexibility, buy back my time, mm -hmm. raise my own kids and make money while doing it, uh -oh. let me start doing some research. Right, right. Why not? Right. You know, mm -hmm. and you know, where did this recruiter come from? And and it, it just, it, you know, nothing happens by accident, mm -hmm. you know? So I started doing some research for about a year and a half into the insurance industry, this captive company, I did some research on them. And for and for people who don't under, know what captive, that's like an exclusive, exclusive agent, so they can't sell any anything but their own product. Their own product. So their products are proprietary. You only sell their product, you know, and, and you can only place, you know, one product, one price, pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, so I did some research and it was exactly what I was doing now. It was being passionate about educating. Mm -hmm. But now it was educating people on insurance, on gaps, mm -hmm. on coverage, on what right. you needed, right? Making an impact, mm -hmm. right? Being that person that they look to for their needs, for protection, to protect their needs. So it was, it, it was technically a little culmination of, of education. It was like, I'm still going to be doing something similar, just on a grander scheme mm -hmm. of things. So, you know, 2012, I decided to, again, take a leap of faith. You know, I'm 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 all about Come leaps on, of faith. Speaking my language, I had already grown some wings in 2010. Mm -hmm. all right. Like you said, uh -huh. I like your analogy because, you know, as I fell and I fell and I fell as an administrator, those wings and, and I, first time I'd ever heard that, but it's making sense. Those mm -hmm. wings is, is what helped me get to the top. Yes, get higher. You know, not fall flat mm -hmm. on my face. Mm -hmm. And I took another leap of faith, and seven years later, here we are. All right. Now we're in the insurance now, now let's let's in that transition. I mean, and I I know because I'm married, and in, in the transition, <laughs> what was the conversation like with in, in your marriage about changing? Because in some ways, the the vice principal, there's some there's prestige. Yes, there's honor. What was that conversation like in that transition? Like, what was that conversation like in your marriage? Tough. 
Mm-hmm. Tough, I'd have to say. Uh, I went through the conversation. Well, it all started with you know me getting on the on the LinkedIn mm-hmm. uh, profile and reading the message to my wife. Mm. And the first thing she said to me was, you sell insurance? Wow. And I was like, why not? Why not me? But that was her question. You sell insurance? Mm-hmm. And when I finally decided that it was time, it was one of the toughest conversations I've had to have with my wife mm-hmm. because I went four years to UTEP to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. I went two and a half years to New Mexico State to be an administrator. Yes. Six and a half years of education, 13 years of my life spent in education mm-hmm. to all of a sudden do something that's not guaranteed. Right. I don't have the stable paycheck coming that in is every right. last day of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, and just letting her know that I needed her support through this venture. Mm-hmm was was trying mm-hmm. it was a trying time in our marriage it really was mm-hmm. uh, even the five years that i was an exclusive captive agent was a trying time in our marriage mm-hmm. because i hadn't made it yet mm-hmm. so was it right. the right decision i had made right so i'd have to say that it's been the toughest conversation i've ever had with my wife mm-hmm. and i went through it in my head multiple times and it just it, i had to speak from the heart mm-hmm. and tell her that as as happy as I was, as satisfied as I was being in education, as as much as I loved what I was doing, mm-hmm. there was a sense of lack of fulfillment Oof. for me. I like that delineation because you clarify between I could be happy somewhere, doesn't mean I'm fulfilled. Correct. And uh, and and I guess what I, as a speaker and as a motivator, even as a writer, I'm, I, I try to help people to understand they could be happy anywhere. Yeah. Happiness could be anywhere. Joy yeah. could be anywhere. Um, poorest kid in the poorest country i believe they can they could find joy absolutely now fulfillment is another level and then i think everybody can relate to the stress that can come with a big career change oh, yeah. i know my wife and i had the conversation when we were first discussing you know um the insurance industry was, was where i was you know i was working at nationwide um it's, it's been good to me help pay for education and they were paying for um for uh, me to continue into my master's program that I was doing. And, um, and what happened with, with, with me was um, I had applied for a lateral role um, in the company. And then a week later, they announced that my current role was being eliminated. Now, so th- that put us in an interesting situation is, do I continue after the other role or do I allow this elimination of my role to be a platform for me to jump off into my own business. So do, do speaking, coaching, podcasting. And we were, you know, worried. You know, I think I was, I probably had more fear than she did um, <laughs> as far as making the change because this is so comfortable. Um, this is what I've known. You're um, correct. But, um, but ultimately asking myself about calling, like you said, I, I think I, I heard a definition the other day. Does it, calling is a purpose with a divine touch there you go. and that speaks to your journey of what you are able to do now to help people because you were helping people before yes. as an administrator and now you're helping people as well yes. but, but then now to your your vision of i don't want to have to pay for other people to raise my children like the nanny yeah. i want to be involved at the ground level helping to raise my children and i think you said the word comfort mm-hmm. i think i was comfortable Right. This is what I knew. 
waking mm-hmm. up at a certain time, getting to the office at a certain time. Mm-hmm. I knew I was going to have the disciplinary problems. I knew which kids they were. I knew the teachers. It was comfort. Mm-hmm. It was the, 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 uh, I mean, I didn't have a lot of summer vacation, but the three weeks off in the summer, it was comfortable. Mm-hmm. It was comfortable, sure. right? The one week off during Thanksgiving, the two weeks off during Christmas, um, it wasn't fulfillment. And, you know, our educators, um, there's a special place for them, mm-hmm. you know, yes. because I was raising 900 kids because you're not just a teacher. You're mm-hmm. not just an educator. You're not just an administrator. You're a mentor. You're a peer to them. Counselor. Right? I mean, a counselor. Coach. You know. Every, you're everything. Mm-hmm. You're coaching them. You're, 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 they spend a lot more time with you sometimes in, on campus yes. than they do with their own families at home. Spot on. But at the end of the day, I said, I have my own three. Mm-hmm. My kids at the time were four, six, and 11. Mm-hmm. And I said, I... Do I spend 70 hours a week raising somebody else's kids or 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 is there right. something out there for me where I can be fulfilled, still help people, still make money, mm-hmm. but also raise my own children, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it was a tough decision, man. It was a tough decision because at the end of, at, ultimately that, that was the goal. Right. Is, is not having regrets when my yes. kids were older, knowing that, hey, I could have done more for them, right. but I was so... Con- consumed Mm -hmm. in my career Mm -hmm. that i failed them Mm -hmm. in some things it's it's a challenge it's a challenge that everybody faces Mm -hmm. in corporate america i think that every educator faces that that any employee faces Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know right it's 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 fascinating you bring up that everybody faces it because i know the the leap that i i did and i hear the leap that you did (laughs) but i still feel hesitant to give people the advice to like leap and do it because there's so much risk involved there's finances involved there's relationships that can be strained because of this leap um and um so it's not i i almost never want to be responsible for somebody else's hey you got to decide that for you hey you pray on that think about it you know map it out pros and cons but um but it has forced me to grow in ways that I couldn't even imagine. I mean, even podcasting right now. So I'm not an expert podcast, but I'm having the time of my life. Like the conversation we were able to have before the, the um, recording and then to, to connect with you now, I'm asking in what world would I have connected with Fernie Rizzo if I wasn't doing what I'm doing right now? Exactly. And the same um, thing so, here. In what world would I be sharing my story yes. with the world in front of Derek Wajardo if it wasn't the, the leap of faith I That's took? Right. But you're right. It's not for everybody, man, mm-hmm. because there's so many risks involved. And I think the spousal support I had through the journey mm-hmm. was the main thing for me. Yes. I think if I wouldn't have had that, I would have fallen flat on my face. The wings mm-hmm. wouldn't have worked. So I owe Veronica everything Come for this on. journey, man. Oh, Veronica. I, I really right, when you hear this, well done, Veronica. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's why we're celebrating our our tw- our hey, dozen anniversary. The reason you know, for it. And she it, she deserves it, man. Come on, she deserves that's it. That's right. Now, um, so you you jump into the, the insurance industry, and what would you say is the most rewarding part of being a business owner? Uh, I think more than being a business owner, I, I don't think that's the rewarding part. I think that's the challenging part <laughs> is is having the business acumen to now run your business and deal with all the things that have nothing to do with what you actually do. Mm-hmm. I think the rewarding part is being an insurance agent. Yeah. I don't think 
I don't think it's the business owner. So I didn't get out of education to own a business. I got out of education to be an insurance agent, mm -hmm. which to me, there's a difference because the rewarding part of being an insurance agent is being the person that gives people peace of mind yes. with protecting their assets. Mm -hmm. The trust that I build with my customers, that's what the rewarding part is. That's how I can go to bed at night mm -hmm. is that, yes, maybe I saved them money, you know, that's always rewarding mm -hmm. is, is knowing that you're the guy that allowed them to to manage their budget. Right, better right, right. Because now they have extra money in their budget to to, to be able to go to the movies, which mm -hmm. they haven't been able to do, to be able to go buy a new car because mm -hmm. they didn't know that the insurance could be more affordable. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that, that in their daily life, you know, I might be responsible for their peace of mind. Mm -hmm. And also probably the guy that they'll call on their worst day Whoa. when they have a wreck, when they have a blowout tire, when mm. their house catches on fire, uh, like mine did in 2013. What was that like? You know, I, I wasn't an insurance agent yet. I was still in the research process. Mm -hmm, I was still mm -hmm. studying to be an insurance agent. Um, I, I did a lot of, of studying mm -hmm. of, of the regulations and the insurance industry. So in 13, I'm still not an agent. Um, it's July 4th of 2013 and my mom's over for the summer and we're in the backyard grilling mm -hmm. and I've had this grill for six years and it's up against the patio wall mm -hmm. and the kids are in the backyard running around the sprinkler, you know, and, and just kind of doing July 4th stuff. Sure. The grill catches on fire, but Whoa. I think it's the grease. No big deal. Ah, grease fire, you know, put mm -hmm. it out with whatever. Um, it was the tank. And before you know the it, propane tank. propane tank, and I couldn't put it out on time to where the line blew with all the pressure, blew my, through my walls, got the fire inside the, in between the two floors. And the fire marshal says, if you don't call us when you do, and we show up five minutes later, your house burns to the ground because the fire was already in the insulation between the walls. Oh um, man. That night, as I'm, you know, I talked to you about leap of faith and divine intervention. What I learned through this process was it's not about the money I'm going to make as an insurance agent. Mm -hmm. It's what my insurance agent did for me. Yes. The fact that I had his cell phone number, it's mm -hmm. July 4th. He's having a great time with his family. True. I leave him a voicemail and he returns my call mm. on, on a holiday. Holiday. When he's off. And guides me through the process of what's to come and gives me the makes me feel at ease to the point where i can put my arm around my wife while she's watching her house burn mm -hmm. down kiss her on the cheek and say everything's gonna be okay wow. he gave me the comfort to be able to tell her that mm -hmm. that's where i realized this is not about the flexibility mm -hmm. this is not about the money you're gonna make this is about being that person that people can count on on the worst days yes. of their life. Because yes. it's not about selling a policy, walking away and saying, here's the 1-800 number. And if they close at five on a Friday, but your house burns on Saturday, mm. good luck, find me Monday. Right. That's not who we are, mm -hmm. you know? And, and 
that experience taught me that. Mm -hmm. And I know from you is you've prioritized being accessible yes. um, in your business so that when you have your clients on their worst day, as you described, um, they're able to contact you directly. They are. They are. I'd say if not all, most of our clients have my cell phone number on their business card mm -hmm. because I know and I trust that they're not going to call my cell phone to bother me, that it's going to be something that they need. And I want to be, we want to be that agency that that is accessible. You said, it. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not about, oh, we sold you a policy. Mm -hmm. Now call the 1-800 number. It's, hey, we're here. We're your agent. Mm -hmm. We are your representative. Yes. Call us before you call the company. Mm -hmm. We'll guide you through through the right. process like my agent did me. Because mm -hmm. of course, the company I was with at the time, they were closed on July 4th. Mm -hmm. Most people are. A lot of carriers don't have 24-7, you know, hotlines. And mm -hmm. that's how, that's what we pride ourselves on. Yes. That's what distinguishes us from a lot of companies mm -hmm. is the accessibility that customers can have to us on a Sunday, on a Saturday, on mm -hmm. a holiday, mm -hmm. because I went through it. Right. And I think you have to go through it to understand why it's important for them to have accessibility to you. Because if I don't have my agent's number, cell phone number that night, I'm not sure I can put my arm around my wife and tell her everything's going to be okay because I'm sure. not sure everything's going to be okay. That's right. You know? Yes. <laughs> so it sounds from the way you're building your business in the independent space, you're able to help people from a financial standpoint, to help people to have a variety of options for their insurance needs are able to go to you. But then also from an experience standpoint, so it's one thing to have the financial side, but then the experience you deliver is an experience that is accessible and you know what it's like to have the worst loss at your home, right? Yes. I mean, I, I, my wife and I tease, but you know, the, the couch over there, you know, <laughs> she, she, there, she has an um, emotional connection with that couch. It was the first couch she ever bought as a high school, as a college student, didn't have a lot of money. She paid good money for that couch and it means a lot to her. But when somebody's house burns down, it's not just property. No. It's, there's so much connection emotionally to anything that can, can be lost. People feel the same way about their cars or um, in a variety of uh, things that they can lose that insurance helps to cover. Um, but you get a chance to serve the community by helping to be a voice of reassurance, as you said, during the worst moment. That's what it is. You said it, reassurance, because there's so many carriers out there. There's so many companies. Uh, we are blessed to have access to multiple carriers. Mm -hmm. So Rizzo Insurance Group, I mean, that is my last name. Right. But I, when I started, I said it has to stand for something. Mm -hmm. It can't be Fernie Rizzo's company. And the acronym we use for Rizzo is we relate. R is for relate. We mm. relate to our customers. Yes. We are a consumer. Mm. We pay premiums. We had the fire loss. Yes. I, uh, yeah, I is, is the, the second name, but we inform them. We mm -hmm. educate them. So yes. to me, inform is a synonym to educate. We want to inform them of their gaps, mm -hmm. of what they need, of what will happen if they don't have the coverage. Maybe you, can afford, you cannot afford it at this time, but we want to inform you that when you can, this is what this coverage can do for you. Yes. Just know that if something happens in the meantime, you're not going to be covered. Mm -hmm. The Z is for zeal. 
And I think that's what miss what's missing in a lot of a lot of insurance companies is to me zeal is passion. Yes. It's passion and devotion. Not mm-hmm. only passion and devotion to do the right thing for the customer, but passion and devotion to the industry. Mm-hmm to protect the industry. The industry has a bad name a lot of times mm-hmm. because premiums go up, because claims are not covered. To have that devotion to the industry, to be able to earn that respect for the insurance industry mm-hmm. with our customers, but at the same time have the zeal for our customers to be able to make that connection, that relationship. Yes. I'm your agent, but I need to build that relationship between you and the carrier I'm placing mm-hmm. you with. And the O is for options. So mm-hmm. R-I-Z-O, the O is for options. We want to make sure that I don't shove a price and a product down your throat because I need you to do business with mm-hmm. me, that I give you the option, that I have options for you mm-hmm. and I'm going to place you with something that's in yes. your budget, something that fits your needs. Mm-hmm. It's it's wonderful to be able to run through a quote and know that I have options of where to place my customer and mm-hmm. find the right fit for them. Yes. So R-I-Z-O, I like it's, it. it's People think it's our last name, but relate, inform, (laughs) Inform, do it with zeal, options. Options. All right. I like it. So if they're tuning in, that's a a good acronym to memorize right there. Rizzo Insurance Group. Know what it stands for. All right. So let's talk about how you've continued to grow in your leadership journey. Ah, B&I. B&I. Business Network and International. Tell us about it. Business Network International. It's a global organization uh, around the world. That's what global means. Mm -hmm. Um, With thousands of chapters, over 160,000 members. Yes. um, Business professionals. That's Mm -hmm. what we are. And... You know, when when I was asked to be one of the charter members of a new chapter here in town, and it's so funny that when we were ready to launch, I was asked to be on the leadership team. There's only three leadership roles, president, Mm -hmm. vice president, secretary, treasurer. And I was asked to be vice president. And then six months later, I was asked to be president. And I'm like, there's got to be something about me <laughs> that encourages people um, to keep asking me to be yes, in these leadership, leadership right. positions. Right. Well, there's no reason that business professionals really need to show up to a meeting every Thursday um, and listen to what I have to say mm-hmm. or listen to me run the meeting. Or, But it, it's, it's the motivation, mm-hmm. the motivation that I have. I only accept leadership positions if I believe in the mission, mm-hmm. if I believe in in what I'm doing. And right. every Thursday when we show up to our meeting, I believe in what B&I has done for my business yes. and what it can do for the businesses of other business owners. And that's how you and I met. Yes. So, you know, I, I'm so glad to be president and I grow, right? Because now I'm, now I'm in a group with business professionals but I'm the one that has to hold people accountable for yes. things getting done in that chapter. Right. But I'm nobody to them, nobody to me besides friends. We're friends. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're peers. We're colleagues. Mm-hmm. So how do you get people motivated? And at the end of every meeting, we give a quote. And I kind of take the pulse of the group. And that's how I choose my quote. What's the pulse this week? And we're going to we're going to share that quote. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to share a quote that I find, whether it's perseverance, whether it's leadership, whether it's struggle, whether it's growth. What is it that our group needs this mm-hmm. week? And we're going to find a quote that relates to them and nice. it, it, let them go home because that's the last part of the meeting mm-hmm. and let them let something resonate to them 
to help them want to come back the following yes. Thursday. <laughs> hey, you know? hey, build your wings on the way down. <laughs> you said it. You said it. And I'm going to remember that. No. Um, and it's been a phenom- phenomenal group. Does so, I've, And I've been um, connected for all of whatever. I think I got initiated uh, 13 days ago. Inducted. Inducted. Yeah, there's no initiation. There's induction. Inducted. <laughs> so, but what I appreciate about it is the accountability. Yes. Because it's we we're, we're together, but then the accountability where each person goes around and says, "Here's how I contributed to my colleagues this week," and I, I think you this past uh, meeting you called it the "I have" portion. Yes, it's I have a referral for somebody else, or I have a visitor who I, who can come to this group and add value to this group if they place membership, or I have a story that really connected with me from a connection from a. Uh, from a member, uh, from uh, from being a part of this, a testimony, a testimony, a, a testimony, testimony of what you maybe you've done business with a member in the yes. group, yes, and you want to give a testimonial so that people know what great of a job that member is doing yes. with their business, or also a testimonial on what B and I has done for your business. Right. So yeah, we call it the I have, and and every week you have to tell us what you have. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't let you off the hook. We don't right. we don't let you stand up and say. Uh-huh. I don't have anything this week. You have something. something. You, you have either a testimonial of what BNI has done for you mm-hmm. and your business, or you have a testimonial on something that a member did for you, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of their product, their service, maybe something they did on yes. the outside, mm-hmm. you know, while you were having a one-to-one conversation with them. So mm-hmm. um, very passionate about that group. Uh, it's been a, a, an honor, a privilege to have been vice president and president. Um, and, and it just pretty much, Going back to your question, it's helped my growth and it's helped my growth in my business as far as leadership. Um, there's a sense of humility. You, you you talked about business owner. What's the reward? What's the challenge? The challenge mm-hmm. is, is how do you grow, right? How do you grow as a business owner? And I think there has to be a sense of humility that you can't do everything on your own. Right. And now you become a leader because employees or independent contractors that come on board with me, they want to be treated right. They don't want to be micromanaged and it teaches you a sense of humility. You got to be able to trust that people are going to get the work done, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, BNI has taught me that while I'm away at these meetings or I'm away doing Mm one-to-one conversations that I have to be able to trust that the business is still getting taken care of Mm -hmm. in the office. The business is still getting taken care of by my producers, Mm -hmm. you know, by my partners in the business. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an ongoing ongoing endeavor mm-hmm. you know i heard a quote that said people are successful if a lot of other people want them to be and i feel like that captures the group is we want to be successful we want o- other people to be successful we, we want what's best for one another to help each other to grow and to blossom to have greater connections and exposing our personal network to the group because it's like it's like we know from a team concept, we can do more together than we can apart. And you know, BNI's uh, motto is "givers gain." Yes. And I took that motto to my personal life, mm-hmm. and I took that motto to my own business. Mm-hmm. If I give of myself, 
if I give business to others, right. if I give of myself to people, in return, they're going to want to do business with me. Mm -hmm. And in return, they're going to want to give of themselves to me. Yes. So it's not gainers give, it's givers gain. Mm -hmm. First, you got to be a servant. That's right. And, you know, when I got my master's degree and I was getting into administration, we start we studied about all the different types of leadership. And I got, I was attracted to the servant leadership. Yes. And I think servant leadership is so important mm -hmm. and it gets lost in wanting to make money mm -hmm. and wanting to be your own boss and wanting to have the flexibility. Right. I think at the end of the day, the only way you'll be successful and grow a business and grow a group like BNI mm -hmm. um, is to be a servant leader. Yes. I, I don't show up to BNI every Thursday to expect referrals. Mm -hmm. Hey, do y'all have business for me this week? It's not what it is. I, I'm there to help their businesses grow. Mm -hmm. If I can help the members of my group grow their business, in return, they're going to help me grow my mm -hmm. business. So that giver's gain philosophy, yes. it, it's huge, man. And I right. think it's something that Dr. Ivan Meissner, when he founded BNI, he's a genius because mm -hmm. I think that's a philosophy we can all apply to our lives Spot on. Spot day, on. day in, day out. I tell you, um, last week when I was in the meeting and I said during my little 40, 45 second, you know, marketing, you know, uh, opening. <laughs> Your ask. Right, my ask. I was like, you know what? Um, what you just said, servant leadership, how can I serve the group? And so... I'm, uh, if, if any of the leaders or the business owners are looking for additional exposure on my platform, you know, we've reached uh, at that point, we had reached, I think, 2000 people the last week and then 3.6 thousand people over the last it took 28 days. And um, and I just figured, why not give that away? Because, again, the philosophy is givers gain. So Correct. let me just serve the people in the group Th that'll give them an opportunity to know me, what I'm about, um, get a chance to come over, connect. Um, but, uh, but servant leadership is also my favorite, uh, yeah. favorite, favorite form of leadership. Let me show up to serve and not look to how other people can serve me. Correct. Perfect. Mm -hmm. If you mm -hmm. follow that philosophy and there's other types of leadership that are successful, mm -hmm. but for me, that's the one that's worked. And yes. I think I can't be somebody I'm not. Mm -hmm. So that's what, that's what fits me. And I think every leader needs to find the type of leadership that fits yes. their style. Mm -hmm. Don't be who you're not. Don't mm -hmm. try to be who you're not. Mm -hmm. Just be who you are. Right. Great advice. So I know uh, we're bringing it in for a cap. So I do have to ask you kind of an unrelated question. Um, who do you have that's going to go further? Uh, Clippers, Lakers, who's uh, who's going to be more successful in the playoffs in, the play in, uh, in 2020? Los Angeles Clippers, man. The Clippers. Absolutely. Okay. Hands down. No question. No hesitation. No hesitation whatsoever. Okay. So is that because of Kawhi or is that just... Well, first of all, I despise the Lakers. Not speaking emotionally because that can get you in trouble when mm -hmm. you think with emotions. Right, right. But I'll take Doc Rivers over Frank Vogel oh, any day of the week. But, uh, right. We talked about leadership. Mm -hmm. And I will take Kawhi Leonard over LeBron James any day of the week. Um, what Kawhi did in Toronto mm -hmm. is amazing mm -hmm. to take that group over the top that had been so close years before, years mm -hmm. before. And don't forget what the Clippers did last year with Lou Williams with a supporting cast, Patrick Beverly. They, you know, uh, they went 4-2 against the Warriors in round one. Mm -hmm. And all they needed was to add those key pieces where the Lakers, you know, they're, they're, they're farther away than the Clippers were last year. Mm -hmm. So I know Anthony Davis, LeBron James, everybody's giving them a lot of credit, but there's more to just adding two talented players. Right. The chemistry has to be there. Mm -hmm. The leadership has to be there. Doc Rivers has won a championship and right. he did it He did it in 2008 
through helping Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce understand that the only way they were going to reach the team goal and the ultimate goal was to give up of themselves, mm -hmm. give sacrifice yes. some sort of selfishness mm -hmm. to be able to reach the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. So I just believe in Doc Rivers more than I do uh, Frank Vogel, okay. to be honest there with you. There we go. So I'm Fair. calling it now. Fair enough. I'm all calling right. it. I you won't know. be surprised if the Clippers win it all. Uh, so the, the last guy I asked this, I think it was last Thursday, we made a, a gentleman's bet on on dinner. So I took Lakers. Uh, okay. He took Clippers. So I'll, I'll make the same deal with you. Absolutely. Okay. Um, okay. I'm calling it now. So. All right. And I um, want a fancy restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the last thing we'll do is uh, for all that you do as um, a business owner at, uh, in the insurance industry with Rizzo Insurance Group, and then as the chapter president for BNI, and then you're raising your family, um, what people may not know yet is you also have a basketball program that you that that you that you run. So. We, we, people will have to tune in for the next episode to get the full in-depth analysis as far as what you do and your passion behind it, your inspiration behind it. But if you're going to give people a 60-second um, idea of what you do with that program, um, what would you say? Man, uh, I spend as much time on that as I do my own business, mm -hmm. to be honest with you, because we talked about passion, servant leadership, and my two boys want to play at the next level, mm -hmm. my two sons. So I started my own organization to do that. And, you know, what I'm going to say to wrap it up is, you know, the goal is to help these kids achieve their dreams. It's mm -hmm. my way of when people ask me, do you miss education? My answer is always no, because I have this group of kids that I coach. And that's I, I spend sometimes some weeks I spend more time on that than I do my own business. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's because of the passion behind it. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm talking about hours, actual physical hours. But yeah, it's uh, I'm excited about the next podcast because we'll talk a little bit more about it. But it's what I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. It's what I'm passionate about. It's it's my way of still being in the education field outside of the education field, you mm -hmm. know, is being yes. able to still be a role model and mentor to these kids and helping them grow not only in basketball, but in life, because mm -hmm. I think sports teaches something about about life completely you know, that that intangible characteristics okay. that kids will only realize as they get older mm -hmm. yes so we are here in the strong life coach podcast where we speak life coach life right life and lead life with fernie rizzo of, in, of rizzo insurance group and he has a basketball program that you'll have to tune in next time to hear more about so be sure to like the podcast rate it well give us a positive comment and share it and don't forget to subscribe thank you again for joining us thank you derek appreciate your time sir absolutely thank you very much